Welcome everyone to another edition of our Path to Becoming a CFO interview series. Today I'm thrilled to have Jenny Saran join us. Jenny has been in a variety of finance leadership roles uh, in companies like eBay and Box and she's been a CFO of two public companies, Quotient and Smartsheet and, and now now she's on a number of boards like Zero, which was acquired by Okta recently, NerdWallet, you know, a bunch of companies we've all heard of. And uh, so Jenny, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Tasha. It's glad to be here. And hello, everyone. Awesome. So Jenny, let's dive in. You know, we were just talking about this uh, before we got started here about how, you know, you have a, a non-traditional background among non-traditional backgrounds when it comes to being a CFO. You studied communications and French in your undergrad and, and then ultimately ended up being a public company CFO. So tell us about that choice. Like how, how did a communications uh, undergrad go into finance and grow through the ranks and become uh, the CFO of a public company? Yeah, sure. So um, it actually uh, was a major that I decided upon because communication was actually kind of a weakness of mine when I was uh, in high school. So in high school, I would say I was probably uh, a top 5% when it came to math. Uh, whenever we had like contests, math quizzes, I was always one of three, I would say to finish. And there was this big competition. And so I felt really comfortable with numbers. What I wasn't great at was um, I was really shy and I hated public presenting. And I, you know, just didn't like being in front of an audience. And so when I went to college, I um, decided that, you know, I should focus on something I'm not good at, but that I thought would be really important as I started a business career, which I really knew that I wanted to do. So communications was available at Vanderbilt University. And I also believed in like international global business. And so I majored in French because I could, I needed one extra class to get my French degree. I did my uh, junior year abroad. And I really think it helped me get out of my shell, um, made me very comfortable to present, to sell my ideas. When you think about being in business, it's numbers, but it's also telling your story, being strategic, um, influencing your team and people around you. And that all requires a communications degree. So while it's kind of a fluffy degree, I'm, I'm proud of it. And I think it helped me uh, in my career journey. Awesome. So, you know, speaking of that career journey, you spent uh, quite a bit of time in larger, more established companies, Saturday, Cisco, eBay, and, and then you joined Box, which, and when you, you joined Box, today they're, you know, well-known, but they were much smaller, right? And so after spending a long time in these larger companies, what made you say that, hey, I'm, I'm ready to go work at a much earlier stage, smaller company? Yeah, I think it was, I wanted a new challenge. So it's true. I started out at companies that were already, um, you know, five to 10 billion in revenue. And they did continue to grow while I was there. Sara Lee Corp uh, was my first um, company after college, I'm uh, sorry, business school. I was there 10 years and it went from 10 billion to 20 billion in revenue while I was there. And then Cisco was at 6 billion and they went to over 20 billion in three years. And then eBay was at a billion and it went to 10 billion while I was there, maybe 14 billion. And I just thought, you know, I've never accomplished working in a small company. And at the time, it seemed really exciting to uh, work at a company that was private, perhaps going to public. The real motivation for me moving to Box was I had implemented Box at eBay about six months before I left. 
and fell in love with the technology. And it really had helped to create productivity gains for our company. Um, it broke down silos. It broke down the, the thing of information is power. And I just loved it. And I, by accident or by luck, I guess you could say, got uh, um, introduced to the CFO of Box. And at our meeting, uh, both he and I, I felt really connected, although he was at least 20 years younger than me. So I thought, oh, I'm so old. Uh, but it turned out, you know, he was interested in hiring me. I was interested in trying out a startup, see if I could get my hands dirty. And that's how I pivoted to private companies. Got it. That's awesome. So now, you know, if you think about the first CFO opportunity that happened after Box, right? So how did that come about? You know, uh, a lot of the folks that I speak with uh, who are earlier stages in their career are always interested in, in, in that first opportunity, right? Like, how did that come about? Were you approached by an executive recruiter? Was it your network? Somebody you knew who told you about the opportunity? And yeah, at a high level, like, what did you learn from that experience about how people can put themselves in that path of getting that first opportunity to be the CFO? Yeah, I think there's all different ways. Uh, and today there are more, um, there are more jobs out there that for CFOs than there's ever been. So now of any time that I know of in the past, if you're not quite, you've not been there, done that before, if you desire to be a CFO, um, I think you can do it. You just have to obviously persuade uh, the other party that you are that candidate who's gonna um, you know, work hard and, and be successful and do your best. For me, I wasn't looking for a CFO position. I um, had always aspired to be the treasurer of a big company. I got to be the treasurer of eBay and was the treasurer for seven years. And so felt like I'd gotten to where I really wanted to be. Um, but what happened with me as a recruiter, the same recruiter who recruited me to eBay pinged me when I was at Box about this CFO position. And there was a general belief that when I was at Box, I was the CFO behind the CFO, which I would say is not true. Um, I was one of many people who supported the CFO. But the, this uh, recruiter called me and he said, hey, Jenny, um, I've got this public company. Uh, they're looking for a CFO. They're looking for someone with your skill set, meaning they wanted someone who was really good with Wall Street and also with guidance. And that was something that I did very well. Uh, and understood very well. And so he said, will you, you know, will you interview? And I kind of laughed and I said, they're not going to hire me. I've never been a CFO before, let alone a public company CFO. But he was looking, you know, to get people in there. And so I went and I interviewed and it just turned out that uh, I got the job. I don't know how, um, but I did. And, you know, talked to my network about whether I should do this or not. And people are like, Jenny, who gets this opportunity to be a CFO of a public company? I'm like, yeah, I guess you're right. And also that was the time where um, the book by Sheryl Sandberg was out, Lean In. So I was getting a lot of pressure from my mentors, lean in, go do it. I'm like, okay, I'll go do it. So I did it. Um, and it, I was only there a year. So that was uh, probably a sign that you could say, was it successful? It was successful in terms of, you know, the work that I did, our stock tripled in the year that I was there. Uh, I put in place a, a lot of discipline. But I didn't um, have a lot of passion for the industry, which was coupons. And it wasn't a big, fast-growing business like I had been used to. And, and that kind of what is what thrills me. And I would also say that the culture of the company uh, and the way I work were somewhat different. And so when I got a call uh, from another recruiter to be the CFO of Smartsheet, I really kind of jumped at it because it was back in my wheelhouse of software as a service. 
Um, it was a platform that I thought was really cool. It was a kind of a secret out there. And then I really, I really fell in love, I guess you could say, with the CEO and the head of HR. Uh, just a really great culture. Um, the whole team I met, and I just really felt at home. And so that's when I decided to uh, to move to Smartsheet. Got it. And so you know, as you went through that journey, right? You you had VP roles at eBay at at Box. Uh, what was your own learning about maybe from your own journey and maybe now as you sit on boards and you look at other folks and you're, you're mentoring other uh, you know, people earlier in their career that sets people apart from being in the VP role and being ready to step into the CFO role, right? So what was your own yeah. journey like and uh, uh, what do you see in the people you're mentoring that allows them to make that leap? I think, um, you know, to start off, there's that experience level, right? I think it's helpful um, that you have been in a couple of areas of finance. So like prior to going to um, to box, I'd only been the treasurer. Well, no, that's not true. I was the treasurer of eBay. And then I became, uh, I went into FP&A and investor relations. And then I think that's what really set me up to be able to do more. So I think having a breadth of experience is really, really important. Now you can still be the CFO if you've only been in FP&A or if you've only been in accounting, but it's a lot harder because everything is being thrown at you and you can't favor what you do best. You've got to work on where you're most needed. And that could be anything. It could be tax, it could be treasury, accounting, planning, business ops. And so when you have a breadth of skills and confidence in knowing how that gets done, that's helpful. Um, I think second of all, um, you have to have a high degree of confidence. You have to have an interest and willingness and ability to build teams and motivate them and, and kind of see the future because that's what your team is looking for. It's like, okay, you know, here we are, when I joined Smartshare, we were at 67 million of revenue and we were gonna grow really fast. I think this year they've, um, they've guided to roughly 500 or more, I don't know now. Um, so a lot of fast growth. What are you gonna look like when you are a $500 million revenue company? You're gonna look very different than where you are today. So knowing where you're going to go. Now, I'll tell you one secret that's been, it's not really a secret, but one thing that I've done, I think a lot of CFOs do is we reach out to other CFOs for help. So having a great network will help you um, take on that first job. And when you don't know something, there's so many people who do know it. So you can reach out to your network, ask for advice, um, and that's, that's something that I think I've done and I know others have done with me. There's a, a woman I know right now getting ready to take up company public. She's never taken them before, but a very qualified CFO. Um, but she's been pinging me like a couple times a week right now asking for advice on certain things and I'm happy to give it to her. And so same thing would go in return with, with you if you decided you wanted to do that. Got it. And so you spoke about putting yourself in the path of breadth of experience right and as you look back at your time at maybe uh, you know Saturday Cisco eBay box before you became uh, the CFO how did you do that was that you know just luck that you got those opportunities were you you know yeah. uh, methodical about seeking them out uh, how did you build that breadth in your own career 
I think it's really important that you advocate for yourself because at the end of the day, it's your career. And we all wish that we had a bosses who completely like looked out for us and, and asked us what we wanted to do and help us get there. But the reality is most of them aren't gonna do that. And they've got too many people to support. They're focused on running their business at that moment. They don't want you to leave. And so you really have to advocate. So at eBay, I was the treasurer, which is the job I wanted. And after the financial crisis in 2008, I felt like I'd seen everything. I lived through huge growth, lots of financial crisis. And I, I felt like, okay, I've climbed this mountain. I wanna move on. I had asked the CFO of eBay uh, three times for the investor relations role. The first time uh, the then CFO said, I didn't have, I didn't know the business well enough, which was fair. I'd only been there like three years. Uh, so what did I do? I went out and I learned the business. Uh, the second time I was told that I would be great, uh, but then they went outside and they hired someone from the outside because they wanted an outside in view and I was inside. Now at that time, I actually set up a meeting with Mary Meeker. For those of you uh, who've, who've heard of Mary Meeker, okay. Well, I called, I pinged her an email and I said, hey, I'm thinking I, I'd like to do IR, but I really don't know what it takes to be a successful IR person. When you come out to our analyst day, could I take 30 minutes of your time? She said yes. So after our analyst day, I felt like we spent two hours together. I couldn't believe it. And I learned so much from her, basic stuff, stuff that was so not, I didn't expect. Physically, the analysts get into the psyche of every leader at the company. So your leadership is just so important and how they answer questions and you know their, their emotional state, that kind of stuff's what the analysts are looking at as well. Um, so finally, the third time, uh, in fact, I didn't even ask. The CFO called me and said, what I want to do, the IR function. So I took it on. I took it on in addition to FP&A, which was really hard. I actually wasn't super successful at running both of those departments, having never done either one before. And with such a small team and a you know $10 billion company and a lot of people that were on maternity leave at the time, um, it was a grind. It was a grind. Um, it was, it, I had to work like, it was terrible. I had to work so many hours, but I learned a ton. It was like being thrown into the, you know, the, the pool without someone there to give you a vest, you know, you have to learn how to swim on your own and, um, I'm better for it. So that's, so that's good. But I only did FP&A and IR together for a year. Then I gave up FP&A and did just IR for another year. Got it. But that's so the thing I want to call out there is that cold outreach to Mary Meeker without the fear of rejection, which could have happened. She could have ignored your email, right? And but reaching okay. out, yeah, but reaching out and saying that, hey, I'm gonna put myself out there and and try to grow in the way that I need to. I think that's awesome. And also and also with your boss, right? At telling your boss, hey, I'd love to have this job if it ever became available. What and, and if they say to you, listen, you're not ready, Lucy, uh, then you need to say, well, what can I do to get ready? And, you know, can I listen in in these meetings? Uh, you can just learn on your own nowadays, right? But then if you're ready, he'll, he or she will perhaps give you that opportunity. Got it. And so I, I saw a question come in. You talked about having mentors and, and nurturing that network. And how did you go about doing that? Was that just... You, know, you were in companies that were at scale and maybe people you know, uh, uh, at various levels above you who could help. 
Was it just within the companies? Did you like with Mary Maker? Were you actively seeking out help from others? How did you kind of cultivate that group of mentors uh, along the way? Well, um, I think one thing about me that people would say is I'm a natural at men uh, uh, networking. Um, and so I don't have any formal mentors I never had. Some people can do that, but every single person I meet, I will talk to them and ask them questions. My husband says I should not do it as much as I do, but I'll be like, so Teo, where did you grow up? So what did you do when you were 21? And then how did you get into this? You know, I'm always just interested in, in other people. And so I would say networking, it's when I'm trying to solve a problem and I talk to the people around me and they suggest, why don't you talk to so-and-so? With Mary Meeker, I just knew that she was a very powerful and important and well-respected sell-side analyst. And so I thought, well, she covers eBay. I'll ask her if she would be willing to speak with me. And if she says no, that's fine. You know, I'm okay with that. But you never know until you're asked. So, you know, I would say um, it just happens. It happens naturally for me. Um, and I never take no as being offended. I assume someone is busy or actually I probably, like I know how busy I am. So I'm very respectful of if someone helps me, great. If they don't, that's okay too. Got it. And going back to what you were saying earlier about, you know, this is the age old question. I, you know, I love to ask everybody this about the background in, in uh, accounting or investment banking or FPA and you know, different people come from different backgrounds. And if I keep score of all the CFOs that I have kind of met and interviewed in this series or met otherwise, uh, it seems like the investment banking, fpa strategic finance has a bit of a, an edge or a lead uh, in terms of opening up those CFO opportunities for people long-term, uh, you know, which then ultimately, obviously the folks who are coming up from an accounting background are asking, okay, what do I do to make sure I get that experience and that exposure and and what is your kind of experience when you talked about, hey, just go and get the breadth of experience. But if you are a kind of somebody from an uh, accounting background audit, uh, big four audit firm, and, and you're, you're coming up that path, uh, which a lot of people do, uh, would you say that just you know, stick your neck out there and go into an FP&A role and do that job uh, for a few years? And uh, would that be your recommendation? Or how, how would you coach uh, people who are coming up from the accounting path who data suggests have a little bit of a disadvantage when it comes to getting that CFO role? Well, I think that um, there is a, a general um, description of a CFO, which is what you basically said was someone who's very analytical, um, you know, uh, works on a lot of models. Um, and then they're also, they tend to be very driven. So you've got a CEO who tends to be driven and that CEO is looking for someone who can help model and do analysis and, and really convert strategy into numbers. Mm -hmm. And I would say that um, to your point, I'm probably not as strong as some CFOs that I know on that realm. So what do you do? You, you have to learn it and or you've got to have good people below you that can help you do that. So in my sense, in my perspective from the smart sheet, what I was really good at was, as I mentioned earlier, talking to Wall Street. I can take complex data and simplify it. And essentially, if you think about the sell side and your 
your um, investors, they don't have time to like have this complicated analysis stuff. They just want the answer. That's where my communication strengths have come into play. Like I can take complex finance and say, okay, here's how gross margin works or here's how that works. So if you're in accounting, it's awesome because you understand the PL, the balance sheet, the cash flow. The question uh, I would say is, are you an extrovert or are you an introvert? And if you are an introvert, which many, some county people are, they uh, would need to figure out how are they going to learn to communicate, right? Or do they also have to find someone who, who on their team can do that for them? And in some cases, like you have a CFO who will hire a really strong VP of investor relations who will spend more time with Wall Street than the CFO um, because the CFO will do it every once in a while, but it's not something that they're natural at. With respect to FP&A, I do feel like having that planning experience early in my career was invaluable. I understand how to put together a plan, how to put together a process. Do I love FP&A? Does it give me energy to do it every day? No, because what I don't like about FP&A is the fact you have to do a forecast like every single week and you do this big annual plan and then it's out of date, you have to redo it. So what did I do? I hired someone, um, especially at Smartsheet, who loves to do that. He gets off on um, doing models all day long. And, you know, I respected him for his vast experience, Um, but I leveraged him when we needed to do an acquisition. I would ask him to do the model for me. And then I would ask questions and make sure that it made sense for the overall business. So I think you got to use your strengths. One of the things that I would uh, encourage everyone to do that is on, or that are on this call is there is a book called Strength Finders or Discover Your Strengths. You should get the book, buy it on Amazon or wherever else. And before you read the book, there's a code in the back. You go, you get the book. It's a hardcover book. And you go online and you put in this code and take the test. And we've done, I've done that and my entire team at Smartsheet did that. And my top five strengths, there's nothing in there that says analytical. If you look at everyone who reports to me, I think every one of the the guys and gals that reported to me had analytical as their top five. And so how, why is that important is because you're leveraging, you need as many strengths as possible to do the best job you can do. But did anyone have the achiever? That's me. Um, strength, maybe one other person did on my, in my group. I'm all about getting things done and winning and doing it really well. And so my achiever strength really played to what I did well in ensuring that we accomplished what we needed to get done. Got it. That's awesome. So, uh, yeah, let's talk a little bit about the, the board member kind of phase of, uh, the journey you're on, you're on right now, right? So obviously you're uh, on a number of boards of companies that are doing really well, one of them had a huge exit uh, recently. Uh, and uh, so, you know, how has that changed your perspective? You were always on the other side, uh, maybe answering to the board in a sense, right? You're the CFO, sometimes in the hot seat, uh, answering uh, uh, to the board, but now you are on the board. And how has that changed your perspective about the role of the CFO, if at all? Well, I respect every single person that is in the CFO role because I've been there and I lived it. I can empathize with them. And right now, a lot of the company, I'm on 
private company boards, except for my SPAC that just went public, but you know, they're, they're essentially private. And so a lot of the um, CFOs are first time CFOs that may consider being a public company CFO someday. So I'm really focused on helping them um, become that public company CFO. I've been there. I've done that. I've done well in some areas. I've made mistakes in other areas. And so I'm just really excited to help them be successful. And I, I love it. It's, it's actually, I'm so glad that I've pivoted to that now because I learn, given that I'm doing five different companies and they're all in, you know, in different kind of operating modes, I'm learning a lot. And at the same time, I'm able to give back because I've been there, done that before. So being on the being on the board is I I just love it. It's my it, I think it's something that plays well to my strengths. Um, and so far, you know, I have everything's gone well. Then you know, I'm willing to basically help out in any capacity possible for the success of the business. That's awesome. So uh, sh shifting focus a little bit, right? So we talked a little bit about mentorship and management uh, uh, already, but I want to dig into that a little bit more. Uh, you know, you talked about how you know, you were shy as, as, as a, when you were younger. And so you kind of put yourself outside your zone of comfort, studied communication and, uh, you know, the, you invested in that, but so much of, of being a CFO is about leadership, team building, management, and, you know, and, and did that come naturally? Did building, managing teams come naturally to you over time? Or did you, other than maybe go study communication at the early part of your career, uh, that helps in some ways. Uh, it helps with, with kind of getting yourself out there. But what about the leadership part? What about you know the public speaking part and all of those kinds of things? Is that something you had to work at? Yeah, I, I was thinking about, was I a natural leader? Because I do think there are natural leaders. Um, I don't think I was a natural leader. I think I had to learn, on right? Because some things you just are different. And, and you're, the people that work on... Um, are different. So back in the you know 80s, let's say, my managers were a little bit command and control. And by the way, if anybody sees paint, it's because I was painting, so apologize. <laughs> um, but they were command and control, and um, that's a different way of managing than what is today. Today, it's really about diversity, inclusion. Um, a softer hand, empathy, but also sometimes a firm hand, but more empathy than not. And so I think it takes practice. Um, I think it takes getting feedback so that you can um, really inspire people. And with respect to public speaking, I mean, my, my degree helped quite a lot, uh, but that also takes practice. And um, I enjoy it now. When I was younger, I hated it. I didn't, I thought I would do a bad job. So you know, I want to be embarrassed, but now I really enjoy it. Got it. And look, you're, you're in that stage of your career now where you are mentoring people, you see lots of people coming up behind you, you're on boards. Uh, you know, when you look at people, what are some patterns that make you go, okay, this person is, you know, on the fast track up and, and they're going places, right? And what do you see in, in people that makes you feel like the pattern matching tells you that, uh, they are destined for uh, you know great things. I gotta be honest. One of the the traits is being humble, and so um, you guys, I don't know if you all know a guy named um, Eugenio Pace. He is the CEO founder of Auth Zero, and you mentioned Auth Zero just got bought by Okta for six point five billion dollars. 
And Huenio was a software developer at Microsoft. And he's from Argentina originally. And that guy is um, just so inspirational. He um, is a great listener. Uh, he has a vision and he helps the organization um, you know, go after that vision. He kind of uh, sees through all the complexities to simplify what we're doing, but he also hires a really good team and trusts them to do the work they need to do. Um, and he's humble, like he's done so, so well. And like, he seems just like the everyday guy. You wouldn't know the success that he has. And so that's one, those are some of the traits that I really wanna to kind of look up to and work for. They have a, they have a, a vision, a passion, a commitment for something, um, and they're gonna go after it, but they also are people oriented. And so it's that ba balance of being tough-minded and tender-hearted and knowing when to use both versus just being one. If you're just tough-minded, people are gonna like not wanna work for you because you're gonna be viewed as a jerk. If you're also too, too nice, people aren't going to take action like they need to. So you need to have that balance. Got it, that's great. And so before I shift focus into some of the internal stuff, relationship of CFO to other CEO and, and, and other leaders, I wanna point out to everybody that there's a Q&A button at the bottom of your Zoom screen. So if you have questions for Jenny, please type them in and I'll, I'll come back to them in a bit. So Jenny, going back, to partnership, right, with the CEO, with the other leadership team, uh, you know, what lessons have you learned in terms of building trust and, and making sure that the relationship between finance and the other parts of the organization are healthy? Because finance sometimes can tend to be this, the people who say no, or the, or the, or the back office function and things like that, right? And so how have you, and, and at Smartsheet, or, or maybe even going earlier, Box and other places, partnered with the rest of the organization and what would you recommend up and coming leaders do from that perspective? You know, I think it's probably one of the things that's the hardest job of the CFO. I always, I hated being the bad girl and having to say no. Um, so one of my methodologies was to build that relationship early on so that when there was a challenge that kind of you're in it together. So, you know, um, before you start saying no, get to know each one of the, the, your peers at the company, understand what motivates them, what they're challenged with, where they might need help. And it's really a, a team effort, right? So sometimes um, you're, gonna, you're gonna lend that hand because they need it. But other times you've gotta check in and make sure that they're not hiring too many engineers, right? There's that, find balance. And I think it has to do a lot with communication, listening, reasoning, um, taking the emotion out of it. I think one of the relationships I was most proud about when I was at Smartsheet was my relationship with the chief revenue officer. He had a tremendous amount of pressure. He had to generate a lot of bookings every quarter. And, you know, he was getting, he was, he was a tough, it was tough. Um, and I, I what I try to do with, with Mike is uh, to, to be in his shoes. And so um, he would actually give the forecast, um, but if we missed it or exceeded it, I felt like we both lost or won. It was always, it wasn't about 
well, Mike sandbagged, you know, uh, we overperformed because of ABC, or if we missed, well, Mike and I, uh, you know, we, we missed forecasts, we had this issue. When you put yourself in the shoes of your partner, um, it can make you feel differently about how you handle things. And then when it comes to um, saying no, like I said, I hated that part of my job. I really hated it because I like to be liked. So it's like, oh, I don't want people not to like me. But, um, you know, you also have to be the CFO and you have to look out for the company. Um, and so the best way to do that is through rationalization, through explanation, objectivity. Um, and then sometimes I would use the CEO to the extent that he would support me and be like, do you want to spend on this or Mark or not? And sometimes Mark, our CEO would say, yep, Jenny, we're going to do it. Um, and I'd be like, okay, I, sometimes I didn't agree, but you know, it's a team. You gotta, you gotta do what the team needs to do at the end of the day. Got it. And so also if you think about, especially in public companies, right? There's been so much news recently about governance and, 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 uh, problems with governance, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, now that you're also on boards, uh, of, of very, uh, significantly valued private companies, and you've been on uh, on the other side of operating as a CFO of public companies. What is your kind of approach always been to the role of the CFO in good corporate governance, right? And what do you think the CFO's responsibility is at the end of the day? I think it's really important that the CFO um, understands how to translate the, the business results or the strategy into numbers that are accurate as much as possible, right? Because in accounting, there's some gray areas where you have to make judgment calls. But the important thing is that they operate with high integrity, uh, that they understand and have purview of what's happening in the business um, so that they can do that correctly. Um, you know, I, I, I've been blessed so far. The folks that I'm supporting are super great people who wanna do the right thing and, um, so far, um, they are, but they've got just accurate accounting results. No, you know, don't play with accounting roles, do it right at the end of the day. Uh, good communication. Um, those, those would be the important things for me. Got it. And also, before I jump into, you know, future and, and some of your advice for people who might be coming up into that role, I want to ask you, you know, as you stepped into the, the, the CFO role for the first time, you know, can you look back and think of any uh, mistakes that you made that if you were to go back and, and give advice to yourself, uh, I don't know, six, seven, eight years ago, uh, what would that be? Like, what were some of those missteps, you know, put potentially in your mind uh, that as a first time CFO, you were getting used to the role and, and uh, any experiences like that? Uh, the one that uh, stands out uh, most significantly was um, with respect to socks and at Smartsheet. So I had done socks at eBay and Box, and it never seemed like it was that big of a deal. But I was doing it within the realm of my area, and you know, I so it was it wasn't hard. It was pretty easy. Now, when you own socks for the entire company and you're a fully online company, which generates revenues from your online platform. Uh, it can be a lot more onerous. And so when we went public at Smartsheet, I um, asked one of the folks in FP&A who also was an accounting guy, if he wanted to run the project and he did it. 
and we failed and we had three material weaknesses. And so one lesson learned, although we didn't have any, our accounting was all clean to be clear. We had a great controller and we're honest group of people. But my lesson learned there was I should have hired um, someone who's done socks before and I probably should have hired them like three to six months before we went public. So that was one lesson that I learned. Um, you know, I think um, yeah, the only other lesson, and I, I don't know if it's a lesson, but oftentimes it's better to wait uh, and really understand the situation before um, making comments too quickly. I, I tend to be a person who susses it up very quickly and can say, okay, here's what we need to do. But other people need time to think through through issues. And so just slowing down was mine, you know, because I, I tend to operate pretty fast. Got it. Got it. And so I think related to the SOX issue, Chirag has a question. What are some of the sources to implement, uh, you know, SOX in the company when, when you have no SOX background, right? So would you always say you have to go hire somebody with that expertise or, uh, and then never wing it or what if you as a company don't have the resources yet to do it and how do you think about that yeah resources are critical so if you don't have the resources to do it you have to get the resources so you can either hire a person uh, and someone's going to have to oversee it uh, you can use a, an outside um consulting firm to help you do narratives and um you know risk assessments but honestly, you still need people internally to get the work done. So you should hire a person to help you do it. I believe internally, every company that I have now worked with has an internal person coordinating with outside consultants to help you get it done. Now there's a COSO framework, which is often helpful to read. Um, and I would hope that your accountants would offer you some uh, reading materials to help you get informed on exactly what needs to get done and how it needs to get done. But SOX is a nightmare in some respects. Um, it can go overboard in terms of what's required. Sometimes your um, auditors are reasonable, sometimes they're not reasonable and you need to be prepared for that. So having someone internally who's been there, done it before, I think will help you get through it um, in, in a less painful way. Got it, that's awesome. So. I have a last two or three questions for Jenny. After that, I'm going to jump to your questions. If you have any, please, there's a Q&A button. I see some questions coming in. Please go ahead and ask uh, your questions. So uh, Jenny, the, the last kind of set of questions I have for you are around looking around the corner a little bit, right? So uh, you know, if you look back on, on your finance career, let me start by asking you that. Has, you know, especially if you compare the smart sheet experience to say some of the earlier roles going back 10, 15 years, uh, did anything has anything changed from a financial operations perspective? The role of the CFO, uh, as you see it, the role of technology, maybe. Uh, you know, what are your thoughts yeah. about the role itself? Is That's it what I was going to say. I was going to say technology has really changed how we do things. Um, Gal, I remember I didn't have a computer when I started working in 1985, and I also remember um, this woman next to me in 1986 got a computer. And at that moment in my career, I said, I want to be just like her. I want to learn how to use the computer. That was like, so I think it's fantastic that we've got technology and I would encourage everyone who's on this, uh, in this meeting to really invest 
and, and think about the new ways of doing things because honestly, it's, it can be game changing. Um, Smartsheet, not that I'm marketing Smartsheet, I don't work there anymore, but it can do so many things to simplify your work life. Um, Slack probably can do it. We know Zoom, we don't love Zoom right now because we're on Zoom all the time, but there's just so many great applications and you know, they have to have a risk um, or a value profile to it, but definitely it's not worth doing it the old fashioned way anymore, unless the price is outrageous, then I, I can see it. So I, I think uh, that's been the fundamental change now, they, it used to be that CFOs maybe were more like close the books and CFOs now, you know, play a much broader role than that. They can, they can be a really close strategic partner to the business, not just the CEO, but to the rest of the business. And I, I feel very fulfilled when I have the opportunity to really work with and understand what's happening in engineering and product and marketing it's very exciting. And so um, I think the best CFOs have the ability to see across just finance to add value. Got it. And look to the future a bit. Yeah. Uh, you know, the bunch of people I'm sure on the call here today who are up for CFO roles in five years, 10 years or something like that. Right. And if you were to put on your kind of uh, predicting cap and, and try to uh, predict into the future skills that they might need uh, to build now to be effective in the role uh, 10 years from now. I know, for example, there are lots of innovations happening and you know, you're a member of a, a SPAC uh, right now, right? And, and that's a new thing that you know, has come up and direct listings uh, becoming you know, more, more and more uh, prevalent. What do you see around the corner that you would say, hey, if you're going to be in that CFO role, your aspiration is to be a public company CFO. These are the kinds of things that, you know, that if you were uh, in the kind of running to be a CFO, you would try to learn more about and build expertise around. I think that that planning process that we talked about or M&A, valuing companies, um, translating your strategic plan into a, an annual financial plan. I think those are really important skills that you're gonna be in charge of as the CFO. So you have to have some understanding of that. If you can get exposure and understanding how to guide you know, from a public company, uh, IPOs, different ways companies can go public, capital raising, usually smaller companies, um, you know, need to raise money. But my, my belief is that you should try to keep as much of your company ownership to yourself rather than giving it to the venture capitalists who are more than willing to give you as much money as you want. Uh, so having good financial discipline, we talked about, you know, managing your expenses and understanding that don't be wasteful. Um, I hate it when I, I see um, waste that, you know, it's not getting that good ROI. So um, capital structure is important. Um, accounting, I, I wish I could have been an accountant. If I'd gone back in my career, I would have wished I could have gotten my CPA. By the way, it's just like a different language, it's like French. It's just a different language, but I didn't do that. And I felt like that was a gap for me. I always had to really rely on my controller. Um, and I wish that uh, I didn't have to do that. So accounting, um, and my, my view is like um, getting uh, expertise in at least three broad areas of finance will position you well um, for that CFO position. And then mentorship, right? If you really do wanna be a CFO, have others around you support you. If you get that job and you feel like you need support, there are a lot of people that will coach and mentor you, retired CFOs that do enjoy doing that. So 
that'd be something you you could talk to someone about but um I would say as much education as you can get, self-awareness on your strengths, your leadership style, um, feedback from your current employees. Like if you're a micromanager, it won't be a good thing for a CFO. Uh, but if you don't tell them what they should be, if you don't give them a vision of where you're going, that might be bad as well. So where do you need to, to kind of round out your leadership skills? Got it, that's awesome. So. You know, this has been amazing. I'm going to jump into questions. I see a number of them. Before I do that, speaking of good uh, spend management and expense management, uh, very quickly, uh, if you're not familiar with Airbase and what we do, uh, you probably have a corporate card, a bill payment system like bill.com, an expense reimbursement system like Expensify, multiple systems involved in how you spend all your non-payroll dollars. Airbase essentially consolidates all of that into one platform and one set of workflows which means the entire company has real-time visibility into spend and reconciliation and close processes become so much easier, all of that, right? So if you're interested in finding out and learning more about us, Laura just popped up a, a, a quick question. Please let us know and we are happy to reach out to you. All right, thank you, awesome. So now let's jump into the questions, uh, uh, you know, Jenny, and here, here's one about, uh, you know, building trust with the board, right? And if you're not yet a CFO, how can you build trust with the board to give that role to you instead of bringing in somebody from the outside? Maybe I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but I think uh, yeah, that's the question. I mean, I've never, I ne I've never done this, but I think just like I reached out to Mary Meeker, you could potentially talk to your CFO about, um, you know, seeing if you could get 30 minutes on the audit committee chair's time that you're interested in learning about being a CFO and what what does that audit committee um, chairperson uh, believe are the skill sets that they would require? Because the board will be part of the sort of interviewing process for that next CFO. So um, if you know people that are on boards personally, you could reach out. Um, if you want to go to your own board, uh, you could reach out to the CFO. I don't know that you should go around. That could be, I know like, for example, at Smartsheet, our CEO didn't, didn't like it when the board members would come to us without like him being aware. So there might be a little bit of sensitivity there, but that, that would be maybe what I would do. I don't think it's necessary that you do that, um, but certainly I think it's a good idea for some who are, uh, feel like they're getting close to being ready and they, they wanna be considered instead of um, them going outside having that meeting and facilitated by the CFO, I think would make sense. Got it. So Nidhi has a good question about your leadership style and how you take feedback, right? And so what are some of the tools and techniques that, that you use to make sure that your team feels safe to provide constructive feedback to you? Well, asking for it is the first thing, right? And then when they give it to you, don't like uh, demote them or uh, disagree with them. Um, you know, say thank you. One of the things about feedback is it's one person's opinion and it's helpful. It's always helpful, but you don't necessarily have to agree with it, but never say like, I don't agree, that's dumb. You could just say, thank you. Um, I really appreciate uh, that information. And often it's like one-on-one, -on -one. everybody has a different style. And so what I have found to be most effective as a leader is adjusting my style for that individual. So an example is I, um, 
I jump into things right away. I don't step back and think them through. And if I'm working with someone who is a, a planful person, right? I need to make sure that I give that person time to come up with their plan. And so knowing how everybody works, this is a, you all have probably done Myers-Briggs, but I am a huge into Myers-Briggs. And if I know somebody, for example, is an INTJ um, and I'm an ENTP, then I know that when I, um, what they're gonna value is intelligence, planning and thoughtfulness. And so I do not come in there with a rah, rah, let's do it. We can get it done tomorrow. If the plans change, it's okay. Because that will drive them crazy. And so just understanding the people around you and what motivates them and how do you get to them and raise them up um, is I, I think have been has been very effective. Got it. And you know, there are a few questions here, uh, Jenny, about uh, you know, being a woman CFO, right? So, you know, the numbers suggest that you were in a minority, that, you know, women who were CFOs of public companies, that's not a long list. So, you know, one question is about as a female leader, you know, how did you deliver difficult messages to management and your peers without being perceived as being too aggressive? Was that ever a challenge for you? <laughs> Probably. Um, you know, I'm very direct. And that has played well in some cases, and in other cases, it doesn't play well. And I have to go back to that adjusting your style. Um, when, uh, when you're talking to someone who's a man who doesn't um, want to hear direct feedback, you kind of have to soften it a lot or not give it. Feedback's a gift, right? So, um, I've made a few mistakes in that area where I felt, I felt it was important the person heard how I felt and, um, you know, they may not have heard it right. So as a woman, um, you know, I've never seen, I've never felt discriminated against really. Um, but I also know that I've had to fight for what I wanted. It wasn't like I didn't have an old boys network. So I had to go out and really, really get what I wanted. And, uh, and I, I'm okay with that, it's fine. And um, yeah, there aren't that many women CFOs, but I think that there are going to be more and more. I think the door has opened. Um, I think that this whole thing on diversity and inclusion, people have really understood that having that diversity makes a difference. Like one of the things that I think I add a lot of value in is with my communication skill, um, and I can understand people's motivations, I'm better able, I think, than other CFOs to come up with a course of action on something that might be emotional, something that's uh, you know sensitive, um, and that's a great thing. You need that. You need that. So um, I think a lot of I think there's going to be a lot of doors open for women going forward. There already is. We can see it. It's happening. And if you look back, Jenny, is another question about composition of senior management teams. That's also a bit of a challenge in terms of diversity uh, there, right? And so. Um, did you feel, especially in, in public company CFO roles and things like that, were you usually the lone uh, woman in the room and things like that? And what was that experience like uh, over the course of your career? There were a lot of times where I was one of like two or three women, whether it was a treasurer's group. Um, I didn't mind it, honestly. It was, uh, I, I just kind of um, think, of, go back to the networking. Every single person, regardless of whether they're a man or a woman, um, 
I want to get to know and I want to uh, learn from them. And so if there were no women there, it was fine. I would just talk to the men and, you know, sometimes we joke about it, but, you know, I was really interested in learning and getting to know them as people. Um, and for the most part, I never really felt discriminated on, on a few occasions I did. Um, but for the most part, I didn't. And if, if I was discriminated, I would just kind of roll my eyes and go, well, I can't change that right now. I'm just going to keep moving forward. Got it. And so uh, changing directions a bit, uh, there's a question about mentors and mentorship. What's the best way to utilize uh, mentors? If you look at the people maybe you're mentoring now, you know, what do you think the people who are making good use of you and your time to actually move forward in, in their professional lives? How do they do it? Uh, and what are your thoughts on making good use of mentors? Well, I think we have a, um, a set time that we meet uh, and we have an agenda. And that agenda is set by the person who is asking me to be their mentor informally or formally. So um, it, it, you know, it, has a, it has a good dialogue, um, trusted relationship. It can be both ways. Sometimes people will ping me and say, thank you for being my mentor. And I'll say, well, thank you for being mine because you know you gave me a perspective that I didn't have. You see this from some other different method, different eyesight. So I think it's, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's a productive, helpful relationship, not overused. Uh, so be sensitive if you're like going to the audit committee chair that you don't take more than 30 minutes, you have a specific set of questions, and you don't have to necessarily come back and have a meeting um, every single month, you know, it's just as needed. Got it. That's great. Then Don has a question. You talked about your regret in maybe not getting that CPA degree and that would have made you a better CFO. Uh, but Don is asking about, hey, is it critical, uh, you know, in, in being, uh, is being a CPA a factor in ultimately getting the CFO opportunity, right? You know, it, 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 uh, it kind of goes in a little pendulum. So you have accounting issues, the CPA is important. And then you've got strategic issues, it's not as important. Um, I just think it's something that is helpful. Um, I wished that I had that, but you don't need to have it. I mean, there are many, many CFOs that don't have a CPA. Uh, I just don't think it hurts. If I had to do it over again, I would, I would have done it. Even if it was like one that's, uh, you know, you, you don't keep it up to date. That's okay. At least you, at least you got it. So that, that's important. Got it. So we're coming up in time. Let's end with a couple of fun ones. Uh, Denise, thank you for asking. Uh, Jenny, hey, she, she asks, hey, it must be stressful to be a CFO. What do you do to de-stress? Super, super stressful to be a CFO. Um, I sometimes at the end of the day, drink a glass of red wine and just like have a nice dinner. Um, working out if you can make the time is helpful. Getting a massage is helpful. Um, talking with an outside friend on, you know, just whatever you want to talk about is, is super helpful. Um, those were the things that I tried to do, but that was, uh, it's being, it is a very stressful job. I admit that. Got it. So let's end with this. Uh, you know, there are a couple of questions about reading and books. Zach asks, what are you reading right now? There's another question about any recommendations you have for uh, books. So uh, let's end with that. Well, um, uh, my confession, I don't read a lot of books. I do have some books, but I haven't read any more recently. I am in my, um, I'm, I'm 
redoing my lake house right now, kind of by myself. I've got a guy right now who's helping me paint. Um, so I'm reading a lot of how to's just like, but more like articles on the internet, not any particular books. I apologize for that. I get that question a lot. I need to start reading more because I just to answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I, I will say my favorite books, um, leadership books, you know, the Strength Fighters 2.0, anything that Dare to Lead by Benet Brown, anything that can help you be a better leader, I think is going to be a requirement for being a CFO or a controller. And that's where I'd go to, to search. Fantastic. Jenny, this was really, really insightful. I enjoyed having the conversation. I'm sure everybody who attended did too. Thank you so much. for. Thank uh, you. Thank you, everyone. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye.